All right. Morning. Yeah, you're awake now. I didn't know we could play that song in church. But... And to have people clap for it even. Man. <laughs> well, happy summer. Um, my name's Luke. Can you... Fourth of July is next weekend already. Uh, you got kids in school or you are a student in school, you are feeling the crunch of the snow day shortened summer. Right? School starts again in like eight weeks already. Yes, you're welcome for reminding you. It's crazy. It's crazy. That's, uh, it's going to get crazier around here this summer. You know by now we're starting a new series. Today. It's called Crazy Eight. And you hear that, you probably first think of the card game. Maybe you've played that before. If you have played it, you know it's really not all that crazy of a game. Something, I think, happens when you play an eight, but it's kind of a, a tame game. But uh, we're not going to be playing cards, but that can be a way of helping us look at something in the Bible that is kind of crazy. We're going to be looking at the words of Jesus. When you hear them, your first thought is, well, that's crazy. Surely that can't be. It's crazy. We'll say that in response to probably lots of different things. When we're talking about the weather, boy, it's raining like crazy. It's crazy. Oh, can you believe how hot it is? It's crazy. Or you see something on TV. A lot of things make it on TV precisely because they're crazy. I saw on America's Got Talent the other night. Uh, these motorcyclists were jumping this 85-foot span, and they're doing flips and twists and... Uh, letting go of the bike in midair, just full extension. Uh, one stunt was called the kiss of death. Okay, that's crazy. Crazy like dangerous. Some things are crazy kind of because they're foolish. We'll look at people and think, oh, how could you be so foolish? You're so, so crazy. You gave up 50-yard line tickets to the Super Bowl? It's crazy. I know these people, they bought a cat. And that's crazy. Why would you ever do that? Some things are crazy because they're preposterous, they're a scam. Like you get that email from your friend stuck in London without their wallet and they need you to wire them some money. You're like, that's crazy. Or, or the guys at your door telling you, oh, the freezer on the meat truck is broken and we've got to sell all this meat, doing it at rock bottom prices. And crazier yet, some of you have fallen for that, uh, <laughs> probably. Sometimes things are crazy because we just never imagine that there are people who, who do this kind of thing. Like Bill Haast, the snake man. He was bitten by venomous snakes at least 173 times in his 100-year-old life. And he was able to do it because he injected himself with snake venom every single day for 60 years to build up an immunity to the poison. That's crazy. Uh, some people are glad for his craziness. Saved a bunch of people's lives helping doctors do research and giving his blood and so forth. You find a bunch of stuff online that's crazy. Uh, you got to be a little careful when you're looking around. Uh, some of it's crazy, like bizarre, like the sheep in China that gave birth to a dog, a sheep dog. Okay, it looks like a dog, plays like a dog. Vets say it's impossible. Owner calls it a miracle. Right? That's crazy. And speaking of animals giving birth, there are some things that are crazy because they're just so astonishing, like a statistic you never believed, never, never saw it coming. Like in 1850, when Thomas Austin released 24 rabbits into the wild for sport hunting in Australia. And less than 70 years later, the rabbit population grew to a staggering 10 billion. 10 billion rabbits! Were they hunting blindfolded over there? Like Elmer Fudd's the only one with a gun? It's just crazy. And there are plenty of other things. We hear them and we say, that's crazy. And sometimes we not even paying attention. We just say, oh, that's crazy. And you're listening. But uh, there are other, there's another kind of crazy that is worth paying attention to. And it's when we witness or we hear something that is, 
It's so inconsistent with the way that we think the world works. It's something that does not square with established norms. So out of the ordinary, maybe even in a good way. It's the kind of crazy that comes to mind when you hear a story about one person after another paying for the person behind them in the drive through line. You've heard a story like this before. It happens kind of here and there. Maybe you've been a part of it. The one that, that stands out to me was last August when for 11 straight hours at a Florida Starbucks, 378 people in a row paid for the person behind them. At 7 a.m., a woman bought a drink, decided to pay for the person next to her, and then every uh, person all day long just kept following suit. I mean, that's crazy. That's something you see every day. That's a, that's a different kind of day at work, right? And we might not be surprised to think that one person here or there might do something kind and generous, but to see that many people, all these different people being so kind uh, in a row like that, I mean, we know the world to be a pretty harsh place. Most people are, are looking out for themselves. People take an approach where they want to get all they can from life and they hold tightly to what they get. So to see such a broad display of generosity, yeah, it's a little crazy. But it's a good crazy. We like that kind of crazy. There's something about it that it makes us want to live in a world like that. It makes us wonder, what if that were true more of the time? What if crazy things like that happened more often? Because I might be able to live with that kind of crazy. A similar thing is going to be true of our, our middle schoolers that just got on the bus this morning. They're going off to a conference, a CIY mix, and it's this retreat full of worship and learning and fun for middle schoolers. And some of them are going to come back a little crazy. But it's going to be a good kind of crazy. In, in the way that their, their faith is taking root and their desire for God grows, they might start to seem a little crazy compared to most of their peers in the way that their decisions are seasoned with wisdom and the, the concern for others that they exhibit and the, the noble callings that they pursue. The parents are going to think they're crazy, but they're going to say, boy, this, this is the kind of crazy I can live with. See, there are plenty of things that are crazy about the world that we wish weren't true, like the frightening reproduction rate of rabbits, or we hear them and we think that's crazy, we never believe it were true. But there are some things that we'll call crazy because we know they don't line up with reality, but they create a longing within us for a different reality. Their craziness exposes for us a dissatisfaction with the way the world typically works. And we begin to wonder if it could work differently. We'll call something crazy because it's so inconsistent with what's normal and expected. And plenty of times we're ready to say, surely that can't be true. But then there are times when we think, what if it were true? And that's the kind of crazy that we're going to be discovering this summer. We're going to be listening to the words of Jesus, which is a good thing to do. Like if I were just giving general life advice and say listening to Jesus is, is a wise thing. So I think this is going to be a benefit for us, for us this summer. You know, there are a few parts of the Bible that uh, they tend to stand out above the rest. They have a broader appeal and they're more popular uh, for a larger number of people. And two of them we've uh, studied already this year, in fact, Psalm 23 and the Lord's Prayer. You can get those online anytime if you want. And we're going to launch into a part of the Bible today that is probably a little less familiar than those two, but it, it still is, in a way, an iconic part of Jesus' ministry and of the Bible as a whole. In fact, you think about the way that Martin Luther King is remembered for his I Have a Dream speech, or Abraham Lincoln is remembered for the Gettysburg Address. 
Well, it's kind of that way with Jesus. We are opening our Bible today to the place where is perhaps recorded the most famous speech in all of history. And it was given by Jesus. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. This is in the New Testament book of Matthew, chapters 5 through 7. If you have a Bible, you may want to take it out. Turn it to Matthew chapter 5, first book of the New Testament. That speech contains the Lord's Prayer, but it begins with what we call the Beatitudes. Uh, kind of an odd word, Beatitudes. Like, raise your hand if you use that in a sentence this week, right? Yeah. Uh, comes from a Latin word meaning happy or blessed. We know maybe of the Ten Commandments in the Bible, and there are eight Beatitudes right here. Eight seemingly crazy pronouncements of blessing that Jesus laid on his disciples and a crowd of listeners one day while they were all gathered on a hillside. I'm going to read the Beatitudes, the the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. They're going to provide a foundation for us this summer. Uh, It goes like this. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How do we get the blessed life? How is it that we become counted among the blessed? In what circumstances is blessing truly found? I suspect we all have answers to those questions. And so did the people who were listening to Jesus on that day. And what we all would have known instinctively is that only a crazy person would identify blessings in the way that Jesus does here. Because we know how the world works. It's, uh, it's like this, right? The blessed are the ones who have gone up the ladder. The blessed life comes as you gain more, as you earn more, whether you're talking about money or friends or power or prestige. The people at the top of this ladder have uh, accumulated enough of those things. The blessed life is marked by security and independence and relational success and the ability to control your own environment. Things that aren't available to those on the lower rungs of society. The blessed are those that have it all together. Their mantle is full of trophies. Their teeth are white enough. Their pantries are full enough. Their vacations are exotic enough. Their lives are stable enough to be counted among the blessed. Lift your drink, smile for the selfie, hashtag blessed, right? We know how to label and identify the blessed life when we see it, and so did the people that were listening to Jesus. And what we also see are the merciful taken advantage of, being stepped on. We see the peacemakers getting kicked from both sides. We don't envy the persecuted, the picked on, the ones who suffer without cause. Nowhere is meekness valued 
You don't put that on your resume. No company's out there looking for the meek, docile, also rans. No, success comes for those who take initiative. The early bird gets the worm. It's the go-getters who get themselves to the top of the ladder. When you, when you make it up here, you, you realize that there's no poverty here. There's nothing lacking. No deficiency of any kind. There's no weakness. And neither are there tears. I mean, to think that you go looking for blessing down in the place where sadness and gloom cast their dark shadow, the places where the heart is wrenched, I mean, to find blessing, that's crazy. If Jesus was going to kick off his career with a rocking speech, one that could stand out among the annals of history, then what a brilliant move it would be to talk about the blessed life and how to get it. It's something that everyone in this crowd and that one would have craved to know. Give blessings. Send blessings on the people. Yes, Jesus, show us how to make our teeth whiter and our wallets fuller and our, our popularity greater. What a perfect message to kick off his campaign. Give to the masses the vision and the tools for upward mobility. But Jesus doesn't do that. Instead, Jesus does this. I know how the world works, he says. But I want to give you the vision and the tools to live in a new world. It's crazy. But what if it's true? I'll tell you, your readiness to accept the answer to that question probably depends on who you are. I'd like you to know who was listening to Jesus that day. And as we said, leaders are known by the speeches that they give sometimes, and they're also known by the followers that they attract. So follow me for a moment here. This is at the beginning of Jesus' career. Jesus had a job, and it was this, to alert everyone that God is now fulfilling His promise to fix the world. There is good news to be delivered, and it was to come through Jesus. God is repairing what's broken. Physically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, he is restoring everything through Jesus as only he can do. That's one of the things that Jesus means when he began to preach, the kingdom of heaven is near. Turns out this kingdom was to be populated by everyone, anyone. Jesus' goal was to save everyone from the broken down ways of living and show them how to truly live. Follow me into a life that's worth living. That was Jesus' invitation. You think you're disqualified? You think the kingdom is out of reach? You think you don't belong? No, no, no. Just trust me. That's the key to this kingdom. Follow me and trust me with your life. And people began to do that. They followed him. Right before the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus uh, taps a few fishermen on the shoulder and says, follow me. And they do. What did Jesus see in them? I don't know. Did anyone ever notice them down there, blue-collar workers on the shores, the stinky fishermen all day long? Who knows? But Jesus took a chance on them. And they took a chance on him. More and more people were also persuaded. And just observe the composition of the crowd that Jesus attracts. After he recruits these noble fishermen in Matthew 4, it says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill 
at various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those who are having seizures and the paralyzed. And He healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, the region across the Jordan, all over the place, followed Him. That's who's following Jesus. It's the epileptic and the paralytic, the neurotic and the psychotic. It's the chronic sick, the allergic, arthritic Semitics. I'll be the critic. Only a lunatic would start a click with those bottom rung hicks. Okay? But that's who they are. <laughs> Don't clap for them. Nobody's clapping for them, right? Everybody's forgetting about them. Jesus sees them and they're drawn to Him. But they're not the few and the proud. They're the maimed and the below average. And some of them are committing. They're signing on as Jesus' disciples. Others of them, curious, wanting to know more, tagging along, now that they can walk, of course. This is who Jesus is looking at when it says in chapter 5, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, He went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to Him and He began to teach them. So the crowds are there, people from all over the region, and Jesus invites His disciples close to them and goes and sits down in a place where He can teach His disciples in the hearing of everyone who's gathered there. And the first thing he says to them is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who have had the life sucked out of them. Great blessings are available to those who are running on empty. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. For all of you whose spiritual journeys have come to a dead end, or whose spiritual lives are not neat and tidy, for those who are lacking, for those whose longings have gone unfulfilled, for all of you there is an opportunity for blessing available to you. For the Father wants to meet your longing and fill your void and clean up your mess. In your poverty, He wants to give you the riches of His kingdom. And that might sound crazy, but if you're on the bottom rung, that's a good kind of crazy. The kind of crazy that when you hear it, you know it doesn't square with reality, but it makes you long for a new reality. Oh, it's crazy, but boy, do you hope it's true. The challenge to believing that it's true and to accepting the the blessing of this alternative vision that Jesus gives, quite honestly, the challenge is... But so much of us spend most of our lives concerned with our status on this ladder. And it just just never seems right to admit that we might be lingering along the bottom. So we perform as best as we can, convince ourselves that we're good enough to progress. And the carrot on the stick out in front of us is the belief that God will smile on us when we work our way to the top. So much of our energy is spent on covering up our deficiencies and maintaining the perception that we've got it all together and finding inferior people to measure ourselves against. And here's the thing. If you can do all that pretty well, if you can succeed at that game, then you you will likely convince yourselves that you are self-sufficient. And you may even find yourselves content with the rewards that are available to you on the higher rungs of this ladder. Independence, 
self-righteousness, self-reliance, a general comfort with and pride in your ability to manage life, spiritually speaking and otherwise. And your contentment with those blessings may make it very difficult for you to interpret what Jesus is saying as a blessing. Because it'll seem upside down to you. The riches of the kingdom will not appeal to you because you have your own riches. You trust yourself to order your life and rule your life, and you desire the blessings that come along with that. So the idea that God wants to rule your life is a threat to you in spite of the blessings that he promises. Your perspective counts. Your plans work. So when you hear Jesus talking in a way that runs counter to your expectations, you will conclude, just like so many people of Jesus' day who seemingly had it all together, that Jesus is crazy. Because you know how the world works. It works like this, and you're working it quite well. But if, on the other hand, If you're someone who has played this game long enough to the point that it has worn you out or you have found it less than satisfying or you have this nagging suspicion that it's counterfeit, that the blessings that are promised up here could never fully deliver on their promises, well then when you overhear a man sitting on the hillside pronouncing a blessing on people who need someone else, people who don't have it all together, who who feel like they're empty-handed in life and before God, well, then it might be the craziest thing that you've ever heard, but boy, do you hope it's true. Because it takes a weight off your shoulders. You don't have to pretend anymore. You can admit that you lack. Even if you're embarrassed, it's freeing to admit that you have worked so hard with your own strength, but you cannot carry yourself to where you need to go. You cannot will yourself to always do what's right. You do not always succeed. There are parts of your life that are broken beyond your ability to repair them. You are not in control of everything that happens. Your life has been marred by the things that you've done and by what's been done to you. And you have marred the lives of others, even those whom you love the most. You have sinned. You've broken yourself off from the God who gave life to you and you've contributed to everything that's broken about this world. And it's left you and all of us with deficiencies that we could never overcome by ourselves. We need God. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, we are all lacking. And why is this good news? Because if you will just admit that, God will fill you up. He will exalt you. He will raise you up. When you are poured out, God pours more in. It's what the Bible is trying to say everywhere. Humble yourself in the eyes of the Lord and He will lift you up. God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. You want to know what God did? He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but He has lifted up the humble. 
These are the ones I look on with favor, God says. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit. That's the same thing that Jesus is saying right here. He's speaking to that crowd in Aramaic, but he translated into English for this crowd, and it sounds something like this. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God and His rule. Or to say it another way, God blesses those people who depend only on Him. They belong to the kingdom of heaven. Do you remember the first time that you got the wind knocked out of you? The first time that it happened. Because you don't know what it is. I remember I was nine years old. I was playing kickball in the backyard of a neighbor friend's house. And the ball was kicked. It was up in the air. And I was going to catch it. And just as I did, another friend of mine who was also going for the ball had dove and stuck his head into my gut. I thought I was going to die. I didn't know what was happening. I'm sure this is it. And what a heroic way to go it would have been because I caught the ball and I made the out and I would have, you know, would have died a hero, right? <laughs> there was no doubt about what I needed in that moment. No denying it. And it was painful and scary and the whole ordeal lasted way longer than I was comfortable with until I got back to normal. But it reminded me how dependent I am on breath filling my lungs. And it made me desperate for it. I am sustained every moment by that breath, a blessing I may rarely ever think about until I am deprived of it and I lack. And isn't it interesting how situations in which we're lacking, when we realize we're in need, they're painful and they're scary and they last far longer than what we're comfortable with, but isn't it interesting how they have a way of turning us to God if we'll let them? And how they teach us to depend on God. When we're deprived of health, of money, of energy, of joy, impoverishment teaches us to admit our need for God, perhaps better than anything else. And I think that's part of the blessing in it. People who are on the lower rungs tend to be able to more clearly see their need for God. That makes them more in touch with reality in that way. Because the truth is, we all are poor in spirit. We all come before God empty-handed. You know, when you hear people talk about the come-to-Jesus moment, there is some kind of poverty or deficiency that's driving them there. They're spent at the end of their robe. They don't know where they're going to get the strength or the money or the faith to go another step. They have come to the end of themselves and they are welcoming more of God into their lives. Blessed are they. Blessed are they because as a result they meet God in a new way. In a more intimate way. They build trust with God that wasn't there before. Faith is formed in the painful and difficult situation in a way that's just not available under sunny skies. Blessed are you if you're in a painful and difficult situation right now where your faith is wearing thin and your energy is sapped, and your spirit is downcast. Blessed are you. For you have the opportunity to learn to trust in God 
Blessed are you, for God wants to meet you in that place. And those circumstances have made you ready, maybe even desperate, like when you get the wind knocked out of you. God wants to cultivate in all of us a desire for His presence, a desperation for His goodness and for His kingdom. He wants to give us the kingdom. So if the deficit that you're facing right now can create that desire, if it can propel you toward God, then it will ultimately be a blessing. If you're facing economic hardship, you may be interested to know that in the Gospel of Luke's version of this speech, and Jesus probably taught this same thing many times in many different places, but what Luke records him saying is, blessed are the poor, just the poor, the economically poor. It's probably who we think of most when we think about poverty, right? The poor are those who, they don't have stuff. But as the mountain people who are in the slums of Nairobi, Kenya right now are going to come back and tell us is that so many of the people that they met, what they lack materially, materially they have in abundance when it comes to joy and peace and hunger for God. They don't have earthly riches, but they are rich relationally and their faith is vibrant. And they're rich because God is in their corner in, in, in a unique way. The Bible describes all throughout Old and New Testament that when it comes to the poor, God prioritizes them in a way that's backwards compared to us. He is close to the poor. He loves the poor. He is their defender, their provider. Where they are weak, He is strong. Where they are overlooked, He sees them. They may exist on the bottom rungs of society, but they are at the top of God's priorities. And I know none of us wants to be poor. Nobody wants to be short on rent money. And neither do do we want to run out of food at at a party we're hosting. We don't want to run out of energy in a game that we're playing. We don't want to run out of ideas in a project that we're leading. And we're scared to death to be honest about our spiritual condition before God and thinking that we might show up before Him empty-handed. But if the way to attain the life that Jesus promises, if the key to the kingdom is to admit that you're lacking and trust God to provide for you, then maybe we shouldn't be so frightened about the thought of being in need. For when we find ourselves dealing with a deficiency of health, of hope, of money, of friends, of influence, of faith, then that is precisely the place where we can become open to receive the blessing of God. That is precisely the place where we can hear Jesus' words as a blessing and be reminded that God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for Him. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God is pleased to give you the riches of His kingdom. Do you want it? Do do, do you need it? And yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's upside down. But it's the way the world works when God is king. The empty are filled. The humble are exalted. The impoverished are are enriched. The dead are raised. So if you're feeling empty, 
just admit it. If you're lacking, if you're lacking wisdom in your job and your parenting and a major decision that you have to make, acknowledge that and seek God for it. For He delights in giving it. If you feel poor spiritually, you are. And yet that does not disqualify you from the prize. If sin has had its way with you, repent. And God is eager to bless you with forgiveness. If you're depleted, if you're poured out, then invite God to fill you, for He is pleased to do that. Even if He doesn't change your circumstances, He is pleased to fill you in the place where you are. If pride, that most fundamental and widespread and destructive sin, if pride is stopping you from, uh, from getting in the small group that you need to be in, from admitting that you're wrong, from, from seeking help in your marriage, from acknowledging your addiction, if pride keeps convincing you that you've got it together, you can handle it, you can fix it, you're better off on your own, well then turn up the volume on the greatest speech that was ever given in the history of the world, which begins by saying, God blesses those people who depend only on Him. They belong to the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank You for the truth uh, that You've spoken to us right here. That for all of us who show up today uh, lacking, poor, empty-handed, We are rich in your sight. You have elevated us. You have made us your top concern. If only we are ready to admit that we need you. So God, I pray that we would be ready to admit that today. That we would seek you with everything that we are. If we're running on empty, uh, if we're out of breath, if we feel impoverished in whatever way, might we find our riches and our wholeness in you. For those who need healing, bring healing. Those who need forgiveness, bring forgiveness. Meet us in our moment of need and provide for us, God. We are ready to say, Lord, we need you. and We desire you above everything else. Meet us in this moment and bless us with the riches of your kingdom. It's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.